When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. I'm your proud host, Evan Hughes. We're joined, as always, by founder Will Stewart, managing editor Chris Coleman. Fellas, happy Halloween. We are recording here in the morning of Halloween. Yes, we are, and it's going to be 70 degrees today outside, apparently. Uh, So, uh... That's uh, it's not a normal Halloween around these parts from that standpoint. So we've got, I guess you were the Atlanta Braves for Halloween. You're wearing your Braves hat. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you're the Nike mascot. Well, you've got your Nike shirt on. Oh, I was dressed as a power lifter with my big bulging biceps and, and pectoral muscles. Sorry you missed that. And, and I'm dressed up as a Virginia Tech fan with my jacket on. But I hope everybody has a fantastic Halloween, guys. I don't think there's a lot to talk about on this podcast. I think we'll maybe like 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm 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 kind of dragging because I'm I'm decaffeinating myself this week, so I'm I'm in the all I want to do is sleep phase where you, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not feeling better yet. I'm just feeling really tired. <laughs> so, well, to answer my sarcasm, we have a lot to talk about today. Yes. We have the most fan questions ever, with over 13 submitted in to ask questions to Will and Chris. We'll get to that a little bit mm. later. We've got the Tech Sideline poll question. We let off the podcast today with What's My Age Again from Chris Coleman's band, Blink-182. And I think before we go any further, we should talk about Will's Twitter bio for this week, which is Pictures Came and Broke Your Heart, Put the Blame on VCRs. That should be pretty easy. I think everybody knows that song. From the 80s, because you requested an 80s song. I did song. request it, and I appreciate it. Even though I didn't know the lyrics, once I played it, I do know the song, and you it is a good one. Song. Yep, so, so you appreciate it. Yeah, and we can talk about the song a little bit at the end of the show. Absolutely. Well, this week and every week, the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031, or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Let's jump right into it, fellas, and let's go back to last Thursday night. Virginia Tech, a 49-28 loss to the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, making it three consecutive wins for Georgia Tech in the series. We're basically a week removed, so it's a little bit different when we do this podcast, only a couple days. Having a week to digest it, where do you stand now when you think about the loss? Uh, I'm I'm okay because I was kind of expecting it. Um. Will and I have been sitting around this office for a month talking about how it's very possible that Georgia Tech could steamroll Virginia Tech just simply because this young defense is 
has not faced an offense like that before. And the fact that, honestly, this defense isn't good against any offense right now. Let's face it. They weren't good against Carolina's offense unless they got inside the five-yard line. They weren't good against Old Dominion's offense. They they were good against Notre Dame's offense for half. Um, they're, they're just not good right now. And then to complicate matters, you, you throw an offense at them that they've never seen before. Uh, we need to we I knew, I knew going into that game that we were going to need to score points. I didn't think we'd have to score fifty, but I, I thought we would have to score well over thirty. Um, so I'm really not surprised by the outcome. I guess for me, it, it boils down to probably two or three key points. Um, <clears throat> the def- the defensive game plan. Everybody's criticizing the defensive game plan and how all Georgia Tech did was run, and Bud never adjusted. He never put any, everybody up on the line. So if you read my Monday column, if you're a subscriber, you saw me do screen caps of the 2013 game in Atlanta and the 2018 game the other night. And the defense that Bud ran in each of those games was very, very similar. In 2013, they held Georgia Tech to 129 yards rushing and forced them to pass 24 times, which Georgia Tech never passes 24 It's unheard of. You know, and it was, it was essentially the same defensive game plan. With a defensive lineman a yard off the ball, that's to try to deal with the cut blocks. Um, with a fifth defender on the line, back in 2013 it was Kyle Fuller. The other night it was Dax Hollyfield most of the time. Um, and then some guys back, seven, eight, nine, ten yards off the ball. Same thing in 2013, same thing in 2018. Somebody pointed out after looking at the screen caps that in 2013, Boston College had a receiver split out right and a receiver split out left. In 2018, they did not. They piled all 11 guys in close and just rolled over Virginia Tech. And I'm pretty sure that Paul Johnson watched some game film of the Hokies and said, this is not going to be hard. Let's just go out there and just outnumber them at the point of attack. Um, And that kind of went the way you thought it would go. Um, It didn't go well. Tech's guys had some opportunities. They didn't make plays. There was an opportunity early in the game where three guys missed tackling Tobias Oliver in the backfield on what I think was a third and 14, if I remember correctly. You know, that was a ch- I think Virginia Tech was up 7 nothing at the time or 14-7. That was a chance to force a punt and go up two scores. And there were a couple other opportunities where Virginia Tech could have gone up two scores. They just didn't make the plays when the opportunity presents itself. Everybody's going to remember this as – Georgia Tech just picked up first down after first down after first down. There were a few key instances where they did have third and long and Virginia Tech had opportunities and they didn't cash in on them. And then what happened was you had that critical sequence where Virginia Tech forced a punt. And, you know, they punted and Sean Savoy returned it, I don't know, 10 or 15 yards. Virginia Tech's on their own 31. Oh, by the way, this came right after a Georgia Tech fumble that the Hokies failed to recover. Sean Savoy returns the punt, except Shamari Connor ran into the punter. The punter punts again. The ball goes off Savoy's face mask, and everything falls apart. And so for me, it boils down to a defensive game plan that no adjustments are ever made. And I think the coaches will tell you the reason they don't adjust is that they don't trust young guys to adjust in the middle of a game. Uh, so there's a defensive game plan that wasn't working. No adjustments were made. There was an offense that was going great for a while but just started to just make one mistake that killed the drive every time and I don't I don't want to sound like the old it's just a few plays here and there but it's it's uh 
you know, this, this team, and I said this in my article, this team lacks the resiliency and the leadership at this point in time to bounce back from significant adversity. Well, I, th I think to your point about not being a stickler on certain plays, I think it brings up the bigger question or the bigger statement, and that is when you have a young team like Virginia Tech is right now, you just can't have those mistakes if you're going to want to win games like turning the football over. So it's a catch-22. The, um, the young guys make mistakes, and yet they don't recover well from them. So, uh, you know, it, it looks really grim and awful. And I'm, I'm not a Pollyanna. When, when I look at the game the other night and I think about Georgia Tech next year and the year after that, I don't feel good about it. I, you know, because I, I ran, again, I put this in my article, I ran the numbers. In 2013, four of Virginia Tech's top five tacklers were the starting defensive line, the tackles and the ends. In 2018, Ricky Walker was Virginia Tech's third leading tackler with eight. You don't see another defensive lineman until number nine. Robert Porche with, I can't remember how many tackles he had. The D-line was not making plays, was getting undercut and pushed off the ball. And I don't see a solution to that next year or the year after. Tech has some young guys in the program, but they don't have explosive defensive tackles coming up through the pipeline. So this is going to be a problem continuing down the road. But where this team is right now with the youth and the fragility – and the lack of leadership. And, and when, when people say, oh, this team has no leaders, it sounds hypercritical. What I really mean is there's just not that guy. There's not that guy who's going to rally everybody and make a play. It's not an indictment of the entire team. Not all 22 guys are going to be super resilient, get out in front leader guys. That's not how it works. But you do have to have some guys in key positions who can make plays. I, I, uh, I think there's a strength issue with Virginia Tech's young players. Uh, and maybe even some of their older ones. Uh, you know, Vinny Mahota moved inside this year from defensive end, and he put on 30 pounds while recovering from a torn ACL, which doesn't seem healthy at all, but they didn't have any choice because of defensive tackle depth. But he still doesn't have de defensive tackle strength. It, it just doesn't look like. I watched a play, and everybody wants to talk about Georgia Tech's cut blocking. I watched a play on the film yesterday when Will was watching some of the tape here in the office, and I saw, I believe it was their left guard, who I believe is actually smaller than Vinny, go head-to-head -head with him, shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, and drive him three or four yards off the ball and pancake him. A traditional football block, and that's a senior defensive tackle for Virginia Tech. Um, so I, I think there's a big talent issue. Obviously, there's an experience issue up front, but uh, it could be a little bit of, of a talent issue. I, I look at Halshan Gaines, and he's too skinny. If you're going to be as skinny as Halshan Gaines, then you need to have Daddy Nicholas's athletic ability, and he does not. Um Emmanuel Belmar is not athletic enough to make plays in space. You know, it was him who missed the tackle on Kelly Bryant. Well, one of the two, one of the two players who missed the tackle on Kelly Bryant on that third and seventeen play in Lane Stadium last year that gave Clemson a first down, and they went down the field and scored and took all the momentum. And it was him who missed the the, the tackle on Tobias Oliver on the third very early in the game, the, yeah. early in the game the other night. He's just not athletic enough to break down and make plays against quick people in, in, in space. Um, so there's a, so there's a talent issue. I mean, that, he's starting for Virginia Tech. He's, and he's starting because of the backup ends, and they're not strong enough right now. Taiwan Garbutt did not have a single tackle the other night. He played a lot. Zion DeBose, the other backup defensive end, played some. He didn't have a single tackle. Um, 
So, you know, I think there are talent issues with Virginia Tech's starters at defensive end. And amongst their backups, I, I just don't think those guys have enough time. Uh, they haven't – you know, some, some guys are better earlier than the, in their careers than others. You know, we've talked about this before. Kyle Fuller, you know, was awesome as a true freshman. As soon as you saw him play, you knew he was great. Greg Stroman wasn't very good at all until he was a junior. James Anderson wasn't very good at all until he was a redshirt junior, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there are examples of guys on both sides uh, where uh, you can say, oh, they should be ready earlier, or, or oh, we should be patient. I am a little bit concerned that outside of Dax, who I think is playing fairly well for a true freshman, I don't see any other young player doing anything. Uh, any other freshman that is I think Ashby's been pretty good mm-hmm. um, but you know Farley doesn't do anything Garbutt doesn't do anything uh, Ricardo Kearney doesn't do much uh, so the freshmen they're putting out there they're just kind of not doing much of anything well here's the question I will propose to both of you guys though you can yeah I think you can look at it one of two ways number one is Virginia Tech might be lacking some experience on the field right now, but the talent is there. The other way you can look at it is a lot of these guys were going to be backups, considering maybe Tremaine comes back, maybe Tim Settle stays, maybe Mook doesn't get kicked off. Trayvon Hill. So you t- how much of that, of the dismissals, and maybe some of the surprises that left from the NFL draft do you take into consideration? Okay, so I've been thinking about that, and unfortunately I wish I'd thought about this ahead of time and done the research because this is something I need to do the research on and, and present it in an article or maybe talk about it on the podcast. After 1999, Virginia Tech lost a ton of defensive talent. Uh, the 99 team was a bunch of, bunch of seniors, probably a few juniors, so when they came out there in the 2000 season, they were starting a bunch of young guys who had never played before. And, you know, Nathaniel they were, they were comes Benny, to mind. They were playing Benny Wolf at linebacker <clears throat> before Ben Taylor really took over the position. Right. So they had a lot of young guys in 2000. Then their defense wasn't great in 2000, but they weren't getting destroyed either. Yeah. You know, so uh, I apologize for not having done the research ahead of time because I want to go do it. I want to see exactly who were they starting that year, what were their ages, and oh, by the way, in 2001, they had the best defense in the country for most of the year, and then Texas squeaked past them right at the end, uh, right right before the bowl games. That was back when bowl games didn't count in the stats. Uh, so, yeah, you can argue that, they're, they're, yes, they're playing a bunch of young guys, but as to Chris's point, you should, you should see something. You should you see, see something. Growth. Oh man, he missed that play, but boy, did you see that play? Right. You know that that team the other the other night had two tackles for loss, and one of those was chasing the Georgia Tech quarterback out of bounds on a pass play when they foolishly decided to throw a pass. Yeah, why did they? It was third and eight, and they threw a pass for some reason. You know, just line up in that jumbo formation and run the QB sweep, uh, and they, and they got a little pressure on him. They flushed him out of the pocket on a couple two a couple uh, two other plays, I think, but. Yeah, there was one tackle for loss, and young guys who are who are talented and playing with their ears pinned back will blow a lot of plays, but they'll make some too. And we're not seeing them making plays to Chris's point. I don't want to get into a big, huge recruiting discussion right now, but I do believe that the Virginia Tech staff believes it's a talent issue to a certain extent because they are actively pursuing three junior college prospects right now. If they thought the current all the current players they had in their program were going to grow and develop and be really good next year you wouldn't bother to recruit juco players because this isn't a juco program it's a great point yeah um 
but they're out there. You know, they've already offered a JUCO linebacker, uh, Kenny Ding, I believe is his, is his name. Uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce his first name. I guess it's Kenny. Chris knows his name. He's just not sure how to pronounce yeah, his first yeah, name. Yeah, exactly. I know his uh, Another defensive lineman from California that they've offered, and they're really looking at another uh, defensive tackle who's originally from Wilmington. Uh, so they're really looking at a lot of JUCOs up front in the front six this year. So I, I do believe that the coaches feel that there's a little bit of a talent issue in there, and and I, I agree with them uh, that, that there could be like I don't I don't I don't mean to keep using Taiwan Garbutt as an example, and I apologize to. Ty, if he's if he's listening, but uh, I think uh, I look at him. He's got he's a retro freshman. He's got one sack this year, and that was when the Florida State quarterback fell down, and he happened to be the closest player. Um, and I think he, other than that, he's made maybe one tackle for loss the whole season. Um, you, you know, you've you just don't see him do anything. You just see him occupying blocks. I mean, how how does he's on the field? I don't know exactly how many plays he had against Georgia Tech. I'm guessing probably thirty or thirty five. And they ran the ball every single time. Yeah, they, had, didn't have they, had, they had 79 offensive plays. Right. And you don't have a single tackle? Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's almost impossible. And that reminds me of that Syracuse game. We're talking about James Anderson mm-hmm. again. Way back in 2002 when Syracuse scored, I don't know, 50 points in triple yeah. overtime or something like that. Syracuse ran 100 plays that day. And James Anderson was playing Mike, middle linebacker. He was backer. I think he was Mike. Mm, Yes, he was backer. He was later switched to whip. Yes. He was playing backer that day, so he was one of the interior linebacker yeah. positions. And in 100 offensive plays, and, and Bud doesn't substitute his line, didn't right. substitute him that year. <laughs> in 100 offensive plays, Anderson had three or like four tackles. tackles. Yeah. It was something ridiculous. Yeah. You watch the film, and he's running from sideline to sideline watching the play. Right. Um, so uh, if, if a team's running a lot of plays and you're spending a lot of plays on the field, you're, you're on Virginia Tech's defensive line, you ought to be making some tackles, especially when Georgia Tech was running some stuff up the middle, but they were also running stuff at the ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the point here is, all right, first of all, James Anderson developed into a great football player and yeah. was a third-round pick and had a long NFL career. He had a longer and better NFL career than his two linebacker counterparts, Xavier D.B. and Vince Hall, who got all the hype. Uh, so I will say that you don't know when these guys when the light bulb's going to come on. It's probably not going to be this season, but you, you know, for for every maybe Taiwan Garbutt might have a breakout year next year. You, you don't know. Uh, you know, uh, Zion DeBose might have a breakout year. Caleb Farley might have a breakout year. You just don't know when the light bulb's going to come on for some of these guys. But you also don't know if it will come on. See, that's the thing. We sit here and we talk about Greg Stroman and we talk about James Anderson. We're all hoping and wishing that everybody on the defense becomes a Greg Stroman or a right. James Anderson. But there are way more examples of guys that you saw earlier in their career who weren't doing anything and who were gone from the program a year or two later. Jake Johnson, the yeah, linebacker. You know, uh, one thing Wendell I w- Gibson. Yeah. C- comparing the 1999 to 2000 season and then comparing last year to this year, here's the one thing I will say, though, is, again, I was one in 2000, so I can't speak for uh, no- prior knowledge here, but I feel like there is a lack of recruiting in 2000 than it was to 2018 and the type of players Virginia Tech was able to get then with all the hype and going to the national championship and being a perennial top-ten team. And then maybe now. Is that something that's fair to say? 
Well, you know, Virginia Tech went to the national championship game. They played in that game on January 4th, 2000, and signing day was a month later. So the impact of the national championship game on that class was very, very small. That, that was not a very good class. Non-existent. So, yeah. It, yeah, it turned out to be not, not be that great of a class, honestly. It had a huge impact on the 2001 class the next year. Yeah, that was D'Angelo Hall and Kel, Kev, Kevin Jones and Brian, Brian Randall and Humes. And, I mean, they, they signed a lot of big-time players in that class. Um, 2000, they, they were still very much the old-school type Virginia Tech classes. Virginia Tech's recruiting hit a new level in that 2001 year. So I want to bring up a couple of stats from this Georgia Tech game and get your thoughts when you hear some of these numbers that came up. And i got to give a shout-out to Damian Salas, who runs HoagieSports.com, for giving us some, um, some prior stats. So from the Georgia Tech game, it's the first time since the 1950s that Virginia Tech team has had three or more games allowing 45-plus points in a season. It's the first time ever that a team has scored a touchdown on Virginia Tech on its first five possessions of a game. Wow. And it's the first time, I believe, and I'm going to need you to correct me. Whoa, 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 whoa. That can't, that's not accurate. I mean, the, is it? Did Georgia Tech score in their first five possessions? No, they punted in the first half. And they, they only had 28 points at halftime, and they punted in the first half, right? Well, he said first five possessions, not five possessions in the first half. But first five possessions of the game is what I thought he was saying. We will have to research that. We will have to keep uh, keep the but going. going we know, we know they we, well. I think here's what he meant, and you wrote this in your article yesterday. They ran off 35 straight points against Virginia Tech. They did, and that's the first time since uh, Florida State got up 41 nothing in 1989. Okay. Um, but at some point, Chris and I will be chattering, and Evan, Evan will do the research on that. Uh, I'm pulling up the tweet. So um, the tweet. Someone asked the question to Damien. Does Virginia? Do, um, to discover games with five touchdowns in first five possessions. And Damien replied, this is the first time the first five plays of the game have gone for a touchdown. That was, yes. But so, no, 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 so that no, was, that's not right. When did Savoy fumble the punt? The first half, right? Yeah, that was first was half. 21 to 14. So, yeah. And then, by the way, he did say that his records go back to 1987. So there's something. Uh-huh. But, yeah, that's so, not right. That's not right, though. Well, it depends upon, does that count as a broken possession for Georgia Tech? They punted, right. Savoy fumbled it back. Is that all the I think, same possession? I think it counts as the same possession. Okay. Interesting. All right. Because he never possessed the football. Correct. That is true. Okay. He never po- <laughs> yeah. I watched it. He never possessed it. His face, it. face mask possessed it for a brief <laughs> a moment. Split second in time. <laughs> and then going to the other side, I believe that uh, I saw this, and I do need to confirm that this was the most rushing yards against a Virginia Tech team, was which was over 400. Against a Bud Foster team. Yes. Um, so when you hear those stats and you hear the 45-plus point, I mean, you know, th- th- this is a program that's known for its lunch pail defense and gets so much credit. And when you hear all of that, where does your mind drift to? I wrote on Friday that I don't, I don't really know what to write about because I've never covered a team with a bad defense before. I've been covering Virginia Tech football in some way, shape, or form since 2002. You know, there have been some performance issues here and there. They didn't end the season great in 2002-2003. By Virginia Tech standards, they didn't have great defenses in 2010 or 2014, but it's never been anything like this, um, where everybody they're playing is just gashing them. And there's nothing they can do about it because they're just getting blown off the ball. You know, you, know, you, you can sit here and talk about, oh, we, we just got – it's a technique issue. We lost our leverage, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. No, the fact is they're just getting blown off the ball. Yeah. And it's a strength and a toughness issue. And uh, 
that's not something that's fixed from an X's and O standpoint or just a little bit of practice. That's got to be fixed over an off season or quite possibly multiple off seasons through strength and conditioning and recruiting. Um, Man, this is grim. These discussions are grim. Well, they're, they're, yeah, to a certain extent. But, yeah, I mean, uh, well, the 2003 defense was atrocious by the end of the year, but they weren't this bad. Right. Um, no, they yeah, were not this bad. They, they were, they, teams were running for 200, 230 yards on them and scoring in the 30s, and we just thought that was just awful. You know, the, oh, man, Bud Foster's defenses are falling apart. They're giving up 30 points. And you hear that stat? This team has given up, was, was it 40-plus three times this year? Was that the stat? It's the first time since the 1950s that it's three or more games allowing 45-plus points. Wow, 45. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, they lost. They gave up 49 to Old Dominion, who's won one game. No, two games. Two games. Two games now. They, they got a gift from God to win, <laughs> they did. To win a second game. Uh, yeah, they sure did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They gave up over 500 yards to North Carolina, who's won one game. Georgia, nobody else has had trouble outside of Louisville beating Georgia Tech. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, this is just – it's not a good team. Again, so it's Old Dominion, Notre Dame, and Georgia Tech. Those are the four. They actually plus. played well, I thought, against Notre Dame. And a lot of those scores uh, towards the end were uh, kind of late. Well, and, 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 well, you know, one of them was a, a fumble return for a touchdown. Um, and I think it, it – one point it became clear that Notre Dame was going to win and they shut off mentally and things like that. But they played well for a half against Notre Dame, I thought. That was the best football they've played this year. I don't really count Florida State because Florida State's so bad and that was the first game of the season and the superiority of Virginia Tech's mm-hmm. coaching staff over the offseason could, could take its toll. So, uh, one thing I do want to touch on, because actually you look at our last couple podcasts, we really haven't talked about the offense and I do just want to have a couple of minutes to discuss this. The offense comes comes out, and we, we, we knew. I mean, your, both of your scouting reports were spot on. Virginia Tech was going to have to put up what we said 30-plus points to win the game, <laughs> yeah. plus 20 on that. Um, they came out and scored three consecutive touchdowns. Willis and Hazleton and Peoples is running the football. Well, what happened? Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think – your mistakes are magnified against Georgia Tech, especially if your defense can't stop Georgia Tech. And I think it became clear at some point during that game. I think I probably realized it late in the first half. I'm like, there's no way we can stop them. We're going to have to score. I said we're going to have to score 30 to 35. We're going to have to score 40 or 45. As it turns out, it was 50. <laughs> um, so I think, and, and well, I think we like to pretend that football players are machines and robots and they just carry on to the next play but they got brains too they're thinking and if you're an offensive player you're sitting there on the sideline and you're watching the defense play you're like man we're gonna have to score 50 you know so so you tighten up and you you do do things like drop a snap right right not that they not that they're guilt not that they're not guilty of not dropping snaps in the past you know uh but uh i i think uh i think that's part of it um i think there's an issue that the offense is it's average it's improved from bad to average so it's still not an offense that's going to go out there and blow the doors off everybody um I, i'm a little disappointed uh and i'm not disappointed in ryan willis i, I want to clarify that I, but i thought when he got hurt i said gives the offense a better chance to to win shootouts and scored 30 plus points when when, when jj got when, hurt. J, when jj got hurt and willis took over the starting job that's what i wrote um hadn't quite turned out that way. They've scored 30 points once with Ryan Willis at quarterback. Not to say that that's all his fault or anything like that, because it's not. But the improvement overall 
has been not quite as much as I thought it would be from an explosiveness standpoint. Uh, I said that I thought he gave Tech a better chance to score 30-plus, but the fact of the matter is he's got to score 50, man. They needed to score 50 points to beat Old Dominion. They needed to score 50 points to beat Georgia Tech, and they needed to score 46 points to beat Notre Dame. Number four Notre Dame. Right, and they can't rely on that. You can't rely on that on a weekly basis, your offense scoring that many points. That's just silly. One thing that Justin Fuente has said this week, though, a lot of high praise for Stephen Peoples this year and what he's been able to do on offense. You know, and I think it gets, you know, because there's so much to talk about, just trying to find the positives. He has been a mainstay in that offense the whole year. Well, he gets taken out of the game plan because the defense gives up a bunch of points. Chris wrote about this yesterday. I got actually got a upset email about that last night. Oh, really? What did the email say? uh, The email said – when you were talking about Stephen Peoples, you insulted the rest of the team, and I won't be reading any of your any more of your articles. Well, the, I, okay, let me say <laughs> editorially, right? If this team continues to lose football games, and you continue to tell the truth, we're going to get some of those emails. Right, absolutely. You yeah. know, we've told people for years and years. I took off my cheerleader uniform a long time ago. I'm here to deliver the truth as I see it. You may disagree with my opinion. But we are not here to be cheerleaders and to tell you everything's hunky-dory and, and orange and maroon is beautiful and the world's wonderful because we're all Hokies if we go all in 12. You know, so I get a little fired up when I hear about stuff <laughs> like that. But, you know, that's, that, that's not our fault. If, if the person reading our stuff doesn't like what we're saying, you know, we, we tow the line. We go down the middle. We're respectful of the program, right. you know. And if you don't want to hear it, there's not much I can do, you know. There are certainly places you can go if all you want to hear is positive cheerleading stuff. You can climb onto Twitter and just follow all the right people. They all have the official Virginia Tech accounts, VT underscore football, VT underscore basketball, you know. And that's not an insult. That's their jobs. Their job is to build up the program and make everybody look good. If that's all you want to hear, go for it. But that's not us. Well, this kind of leads into the next question, then. And I had this on here because – you know, it's so funny to me how a week ago, Virginia Tech is undefeated in coastal play. They control their own destiny in one loss, and it honestly, to me, feels like the sky is falling with this fan base. I mean, compared to ODU, it, so my question to you guys is, and I know this is broad and you can take it wherever you want, what is the state of the Virginia Tech football program? right now it's never as bad as it seems and never as good as it seems it certainly wasn't as good as it seemed against florida state it's not as bad as it seems now so you're going to run results of a poll later where you ask people how many more games is virginia tech going to win this year i i just you know even in the wake of that debacle thursday night i just don't think this team's going to go on four you know i mean it's it's football they're going to win a game another game you know we'll see I think I picked two in that poll. Um, I don't like the matchup with BC. As I said in my article, Pitt is at Pitt. What a nightmarish place that is to play, second only to the Carrier Dome. But I like Virginia Tech's chances against Miami, and I like Virginia Tech's chances against UVA. You want to talk about scoring 30 points? UVA has only scored 30 points against Power 5 competition once this year. They scored 31 on UNC. Bryce Perkins has eight interceptions this year, tied for third most in the country. 
UVA's playing with confidence. They're playing hard. They do some tricky stuff on defense, but they're beatable. Virginia Tech is playing beatable teams, and I just can't see the Hokies just tanking the rest of the season and ending up four and seven. Um, <laughs> that said, we'll uh, we'll play four more games and see what happens. I yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I don't think you make whatever happens the rest of the year. I'm not going to make any final judgments on Justin Fuente or anything like that. Uh, I want to point out a couple of things. I want to go across two different sports. Uh, First, let's stick with football first. Uh, Dabo down at Clemson. He went 6-7 and in his third year. That that was the point where I guess the talent, talent level bottomed out and his oldest recruits were only in their second year, so they were either true... True sophomores or redshirt freshmen. Steve Adazio at Boston College. They went three and nine in his third year, and zero oh and eight in the ACC. Zero oh and eight in the ACC in his third year. So One of those victories me, is probably over Harvard or something. Right, like right, that. right. So, right, and he's done a good job there ever since. Ranked twenty first in the country. Ranked football yeah. team now. Uh, so it seems to me like that that third year of a coach's tenure sometimes is the low point. Sometimes. Sometimes. Like if the previous staff didn't do a good job recruiting at the end of their tenure, uh, then that third year probably is going to be your low point. Hey, look at Mark Richter right, right, right Because you're always going to have attrition in your program. Um, and you'll feel that attrition most probably in, in, in that third year. But your recruits that you've signed to replace those players or at most true sophomores. Um, I also want to use an example from basketball, and you know, my my favorite basketball coach is Jay Wright, and Jay Wright started in 2004-05 at Villanova. At right. Villanova, he started a few years before that, took over somebody else's program, it took him a few years to get rolling, but started in 2004-2005, 24 and 8, 28 and 5, 22 and 11, 22 and 13, 30 and 9, 25 and 8, 21 and 12. NCAA tournament every year. And then, bam, 2011-2012 hits, and they go 13-19. and 19. And he was talked about as a candidate for the Virginia Tech job. Yeah. Which was opening up at the time, right? They're right around it's that kinda, time. Kind of around that time. Yeah, time. yeah uh, we, he, him and Jim Weaver went back to the UNLV days when he was an yeah. assistant there. So I the think. thinking was that he'd reached the end of his string at, at Villanova Probably and maybe so. he'd won out. Right. Well, you know, and then the next year they got it back. 20 and 14, 29 and 5, 33 and 3, 35 and 3 national championship, 32 and 4, and then 36 and 4, another national championship. So, my point here is don't freak out because of one year. Absolutely. Um, So, and the other thing is, and I wrote this in my article on Monday, Justin Fuente is a smart guy. he can he can either put the blinders on and say, oh, this is all because of youth, and maybe that's true. He's close enough to the program that he would know. But if there are other things, he will think about them and figure them out and uh, possibly take action on it. So you go back to uh, go back to the Dabo example. I don't know what year it was when West Virginia lit them up for 70 points in the Orange Bowl. And I watched that game. Clemson quit. Their defense quit. You see it every once in a while. I remember a Nebraska game where they their defense quit probably about six or eight years ago. And Dabo didn't mess around. He fired – was Kevin Steele his defense coordinator back then? Oh, I think it was Kevin Steele. I don't think they were out of the locker room before Dabo fired him. So he's <laughs> like, well, I need to change this. Bang, changing it. Um, we, we were used to – you know, and i got to tread carefully here. Uh, 
We were used to Frank Beamer doing things a certain way, and it took a lot for Frank to change. Well, not every coach is like that, you know. Um, some of them will shift on the fly as they go. And the other point people keep making is, you know, Justin Fuente is still fairly young. What is he, early 40s? Yeah, he's like 41, 42. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, this is only his seventh year's head coach only. Um, you know, we, we all learn in our jobs as we go along. We get better in our jobs as we go along. So whatever you see happening right now, maturity and development might take care of some of it. If there are other things that need to be taken care of, like what if Justin Fuente looks and he says, you know, we haven't done a good enough job recruiting. We got to we got to improve in recruiting. What can we do? Um, you know, I, I trust him to work on it because if if it stays like this and he doesn't work on it, he's not going to be here much longer. So Dabo got a new offensive coordinator after that uh, six and seven season too. Uh-huh. That's when he hired uh, was it Chad Morris? Uh, Chad Morris, yeah, yeah. who's now the head right. coach at Arkansas. That's right. So one of our fan questions, we have one of our 13, which unfortunately we're not going to be able to get to all of them, but I do want to thank everybody who uh, chimed in on the message boards and on Twitter. I want to start with one from Chris Olin because it kind of keeps going with our talk about Justin Fuente. He asks, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you trust that Fuente is the right guy to lead this team in the future? Uh, and and I, I, I read that. I read that he asked that question, and I thought, that is not fair to ask that question right now. And I'm saying that with a smile on my face, Chris. You know. Um, uh, anyway, I'll let Chris Coleman answer yeah, that Yeah, let one. me answer it first. I would say seven and a half. Um, you're never fully sure. And there are certainly times where we've been wrong. And sometimes if you focus too much on the short term, what's happened in the short term, it clouds your view of the long term and what's best for that. I remember this is before when I was an intern with TSL, and Will and I rode down to the 2004 Wake Forest game, Tech's first year in the ACC, and that was when UVA had just gotten Al Grow, and he was starting to win recruiting battles in state against Virginia Tech and pulling in Ahmad Brooks and Kai Parham and. A lot of guys at Virginia that, that Tech really back, wanted. That, the five-star running back, yeah, Michael, Michael, John, Michael yeah. Johnson. Yeah, So, And Virginia Tech, the year before, had gone 8-5, and five, and it looked like they were just kind of running out of talent to a certain extent. And on that ride to Winston-Salem, Will and I decided that we would rather have Al grow at that point. Did we really? Yes, we did. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so, point being here, I'm not going to let a couple of games in Fuente's third year with a bunch of freshmen and sophomores – dictate my opinion on him now that being said um do we know for a fact that he's recruiting well i mean on paper he's recruiting better than the old staff uh, in terms of power five offers and everything like that i think he's doing a really good job but do we know that his evaluations were right and everything like that we don't know that yet because his his guys the ones that have gotten on the field are true sophomores or younger so so we're not going to have the answer to that for a couple more years so i think he's a really really smart coach and i think he's a really good coach but uh i haven't seen enough to to guarantee that he's some kind of long-term hall of famer or a great or elite i think he is but i i there's not enough evidence to know it for sure. So I go seven and a half. How exactly is the question phrased again? One to ten, comma, how much do you trust that Fuente is the, quote, right guy to lead the team in the future? Okay, so it's it's fairly vague. He didn't ask to lead the team to the college football playoff. He didn't ask to lead the team to third in the coastal division. You know, uh, my, my own expectations for the Virginia Tech program are to be competitive in the coastal division every year 
um, to basically, if you look at a 10 or 15 year stretch, I want the Coastal Division to be split between Virginia Tech and Miami, basically. Um, and I want Tech to be in the battle for the Coastal Division most years with Miami. That, that's kind of how I view the program. Is he the right guy to accomplish that? Um, I think so. My confidence level is probably six to seven at this point. My, my reservation is recruiting. I, I, I find their recruiting to be interesting. And I, I, I said this, uh, I think I said this in my article Monday, look at the wide receiver recruiting. The wide receivers are talented and deep. If every position on the team was that talented and that deep, we'd be freaking out. We'd be loving this. If, if Virginia Tech had, they've got six good wide receivers with a couple more at least good ones coming in the next recruiting class. Yeah. If they had six or eight good defensive linemen and like two or three more coming in, we'd be going bananas. They've done a good job recruiting, I think, linebackers. Um, defensive backs, we'll see. Uh, and the offensive line recruiting, I think, looks pretty good. Wide receiver recruiting is outstanding. Running back is, I don't know. You know. Uh, oh, by the way, we need to go back and talk about Stephen Peoples. Cause yeah, I okay, we, so we need to get back yeah, to that. Anyway, go ahead. Um, but I, I think, I'm, think I'm pretty satisfied with uh, – I love the culture in the program. I love the way he presents himself. I'm pretty satisfied with everything, but I, but I think we need, as I always say in print, we might need more better players. So anyway, back to the Stephen Peoples. Stephen Peoples, and actually, let me run some numbers, or let me read some numbers from yesterday's article that I did on Stephen Peoples to show you how much better he is this year than last year. All right, so we'll take it category by category. Last year, he had 70 carries for 267 yards. That's 3.8 yards per carry. This year it's 84 carries for 458 yards, 5.5 yards per carry. That's almost two yards per carry more. Five touchdowns this year to two last year. His highlight yards per opportunity last year was 1.9. This year it's 6.9. And that's a that's an advanced stat metric that, that measures big plays. So if you're doing a better job breaking tackles or making guys miss, it's going to show up in that. It's not a perfect Ryan, statistic. Ryan Williams would have killed that well, Ryan Williams would have killed any Any great running back kills that stat, honestly. Yeah. Um, this guy, is, if everybody on this team had improved, has improved as much as Steven Peoples, uh, I, I don't know that we would have lost a game th- th- this year. Um, I mean, his, his highlights, is, his numbers are amazing, and especially when you consider the fact – all right, Notre Dame, nine carries, 66 yards, 7.1 yards per carry. You know, they couldn't run him late in the game. Nine carries. Right, right, because Tech was down by right, double well. digits. Georgia Tech, six carries, 51 yards, 8.5 yards per carry. If that's a close game in the fourth quarter, Stephen Peoples has 15 to 18 carries in that game probably. Um, so, he's probably left just simply uh, old, old Dominion. Also, they got down late and 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 cost him carries. Uh, they got down by two touchdowns. So they were uh, and cost him carries. So I, I think this is a guy who probably could have a couple hundred more rushing yards, uh, if not for what the defense has done in two or three games this season. And if he had a couple hundred more carries. You know, he'd be sitting – or, excuse me, a couple hundred more carries. <laughs> a couple a, hundred more a yards. A couple hundred more yards. Um, if he had a couple hundred more yards, he'd be sitting there at the 650-yard <laughs> mark with four games to go. Correct. Possibly five games to go. Uh, possibly six games to go, depending on what happens the rest of the season. Uh, so you're knocking on the door being a 1,000-yard season if Virginia Tech's defense is better and the Hokies were actually in games in the fourth quarter. I think he's had a great year. I think he's been Virginia Tech's most – consistent player 
Um, outside of maybe Hazleton, although you know he's has he's, he's had, had drops, drops and everything yeah. like that. So yeah, Stephen Peoples also improved in the passing game. He's made some big catches for Virginia Tech this year, especially down at UNC. So yeah, I. So I know it sounds like we're being negative with a lot of the things we're talking about today, and I feel bad for Peoples because his improvements kind of gotten yeah. lost in the shuffle. Yeah. So to the larger point. Um, I know everybody loves Stephen Peoples, but if you had asked me at the end of last year, what do you think he's going to do next year? I'd have been like, eh, he is what he is. Yes, me too. Um, so your hope is that a some of these young guys we talk about, like Taiwan Garbett, will will make that sort of leap next year. You know that that's kind of that's what you have to hang your hat on if if, right. if you're just hoping that uh, age and experience will help with this situation. So Virginia Tech is in a really interesting spot right now. You've got some fans who think that. Virginia Tech is going to still go to the ACC championship game. They're tied for first in the Coastal. You have some fans who are worried they're not going to win a game I know. the rest of the way. They're in a position right now where they could play Clemson and get to a great bowl game, or they're in a spot where or they, they might go 4-7. and seven. Or they might go 4-7. and seven. The bowl streak is lost. That means that UVA would beat them if they go 4-7. and seven. So – where do you guys stand right now? And I'll lead it into the poll question right now. And we had over 400 responses in this. How many more games will Virginia Tech win in 2018? 423 votes. 21% said one. 43% said two. 23% said three. And 13% said four. Okay. So you're talking about 65% say two or less. Yeah, I don't see it being three or four, personally. No, I really don't. Um, I would pick two. Um, and I don't know, out of those four games, I don't know if it's going to be out of those four games or if Tech will end up adding that fifth game on their schedule on, on December 1st, which I think they probably, my opinion is they're going to have to do it. You think they're going to pull a Florida State? Like last year they had five wins, they're going to have to bring in like VMI to play? No, it won't be VMI because you can't count two FCS teams in the same year Good. towards the win total, I think. But, uh, you know, we've heard they're talking to, to Akron. And we had heard they were talking to Southern Miss, but it sounds like South Carolina is going to play Southern Miss. You know, South Carolina needed an opponent too. They're four and three also, and they had a game canceled. Yeah, so so, so South Carolina is a rich program, a lot of money. So if 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 it gets into a bidding war, if there are schools that want to that had hurricane games canceled and they want to schedule like like Virginia Tech, they want to schedule a twelfth game. If it gets into a bidding war, Virginia Tech would lose to South Carolina. Right. Um, and drive up the cost price and everything like that, and, yeah. and those schools have all the all the uh, momentum here anyway. They have all the levers. That's a better word to yeah. put it. Uh, they don't they don't have to play that game. What's stopping Akron from saying, now? Yeah, you mean Akron and Southern Miss don't have to play that game, right? Right. You know what's what's stopping Akron from saying, yeah, sure, we'll play you on December first because you need to win a sixth game. It cost you one point five million dollars. Uh-huh. You know. And Virginia Tech would not sell very many tickets to that game, and that would be that could be a financial, well, not a disaster, but it, a it net could, negative. Would, a net negative. It, it would hurt. Um, so anyway, but but back to the back to the question we're talking about: how many games yeah. the rest of the way? Um, man, I I I don't like Tech's chances in the next two games, <laughs> uh, which would put them at what four and five. Yeah. Um, so you know what's funny? If I can cut you off real quick, go ahead. Is that you don't like their chance in the next two games. Do you think they could win two? Isn't it funny that we're, we think that Tech's better chance comes against Miami and Virginia, who's in the top 25, and not against Boston College. Match no ups. offense. 
in Pittsburgh. I, I, it's all about It's so matchups. funny because you look at it on paper, I'd be like, Miami is yeah. my biggest concern, but not really when you look at it in context. Yeah, I, I, I honestly think, and I never would have said this before the season started or – I would have never said this any other year since the turn of the century, but I think our best chance for a win the rest of the way is Pitt. Um, really? Yeah, I just think their defense is awful. And, yeah, they got big running backs, but it's not like their big running backs are AJ or as good as A.J. Dillon. Um, yeah, but neither are Georgia Tech's, though. Right, right. But, you know, I, I think Virginia Tech is more likely to – that game's on the road, by the way. Which is probably yeah. a good thing. And we struggle at Heinz Field, <laughs> though. That's funny. Uh, yeah, they do. Funny because it's But true. they struggle at Lane Stadium, too, these days is what it seems like. Will, I didn't mean to cut you off. I want to oh, make sure I don't remember. Oh, yeah, so so I, I picked two games, which means I either think they're going to beat both Miami and Virginia or they're going to beat one of them and have to schedule that 12th game. Yeah, it's going to be interesting coming down the stretch. And thanks to uh, everyone for chiming into the uh, Tech Sideline poll question of the week. Again, 65% say two games or less. Virginia Tech wins the rest of the way. Okay, quickly, I do want to talk about Boston College and make sure we get predictions in. I mean, listen, they, they're coming off a big win against Miami. A.J. Dillon runs for over 100 yards. He's the reigning ACC player of the year from a season ago. NFL experts think he's the next Leonard Fournette in the NFL. Uh, a quick rundown, Chris, on your analysis, and give me a prediction. Oh man, I'd say Scott Leffler is in heaven, man. <laughs> He's got a six foot, two hundred forty five pound running back who's an absolute monster. He's got four seniors on his offensive line, and they're all physical. He's got a bunch of tight ends, and they're all good. BC actually lists six tight ends, and they're two deep, two different tight end positions, three guys at each position. So Leffler can roll out there in his multi tight end formation with an elite running back and a quarterback who, while not great, has gotten better uh, and gives you some things with his mobility. Uh, I think if, if Leffler – God, this really would be his dream offense if he had Logan Thomas with this offense, with the, these players around uh, – with these players around him. Um, I've been saying, you know – I knew the Tech defense was going to be down this year, and we knew after the old Dominion game that, okay, this isn't the defense that, that we thought it was going to be, but I still didn't think it would be this bad. I thought they would show signs of improvement, and I haven't seen it. So at that time, 30, 30 points was my barrier, so so to speak. You know, Ryan Willis and that Tech offense, they need to score 30 points. That, that's one thing you need to shoot for every week. And now that, that seems too low. So my natural inclination was wrong. So I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, if they, they score 30 points, they'll probably beat BC. No, it doesn't seem like that way, does it? They're probably going to have to score 40. Maybe they'll have to score 50 again. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. Um, so I'm, I'm picking Boston College. Um, I, I just think eight seniors on defense, which is more than Virginia Tech's entire team. Six seniors on offense. I mean, this is such an experienced team, and they're so strong. And they're just going to be bigger and stronger than Virginia Tech. Now, Tech can win it because, you know, BC isn't the most talented team in the world. But I just think that Adazio is a good fit up there. Leffler's a really good fit for Adazio. And they've done a good job recruiting and, and recruiting the right types of players that are successful in, in, in that program. Um, I, I, I would give Virginia Tech, you know, maybe a about a 35 to 40% chance to win the game, but uh, I'm picking Boston College. G give me a score real quick, if you don't, before we get to Will. Uh, 
it'll they'll run the ball a lot, so they're so the game will go a little faster. I, I'll go uh, I'll go thirty four to thirty. Oh, okay, thirty four to thirty. I was thinking more thirty five twenty one. Um, so Chris Chris alluded to this, but Boston College is is so I make up the roster cards for Tech Sideline, so I'm always looking through depth charts. I'm not sure I've ever seen a program list. So back in the day, programs would list two wide receivers, a tight end, a running back, and a fullback, mm-hmm. and a quarterback, and then you know five offensive linemen. Um, then the fullback went away, so everybody started listing three wide receivers, a tight end, a running back, and a quarterback. Boston College lists two starting wide receivers and two starting tight ends, and a running back, and a quarterback, and then their five offensive linemen. That's rare. They are at a program – so if you, when you see Boston College Saturday, look at them because they're the type of program that every three or four years is going to do what they're doing this year. They're going to peak with experience and seniority and size. You know, this is, uh, this is peak Boston College, and they're going to take a dip next year, maybe the year after. This is a team that three years ago in 2015 was 3-9, 0-8 in the ACC. Yeah. Yeah. So this is – you're about to encounter peak Boston College, P-E-A-K, and you're encountering Crater, Virginia Tech, at the same time. This is So this is <laughs> not good. Um, for Virginia Tech to win, um, the offense is going to have to somehow blow up against a defense that fig- features eight senior starters, including a couple outstanding defensive ends and just some just good players all up and down the defense, uh, good physical guys. And the defense is, is going to have to make some plays. You know, Chris talked about uh, Anthony Brown is their quarterback, mm-hmm. and uh, he's got 15 touchdown passes and five interceptions. His uh, completion percentage isn't outstanding. I think it's about 59% or something like that, same as Ryan Willis. Uh, he can run, but he typically doesn't. Um, I can't regurgitate the stats right off the top of my head, but if you look at his game-by-game running stats, he just hasn't run the ball much this year. And, yes, sacks get taken out of that a little bit, but – we're talking literally 15 to 20 yards rushing a game. It's not like he's going out there running for 50 to 70. I saw uh, the site that I use, they take off, uh, they ignore the sacks. And he's averaging 5.7 yards per carry on plays that aren't sacks. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's only rushed for like 150 yards or, or something like that. For the before, entire season, right? Before you throw out the sacks, right. uh, after you throw out the sacks, no, excuse me. After you include the sacks, I think he's only run for like 70 yards or something like that. So he's a capable runner, but he just doesn't do it very often. So, and, and the other key to Virginia Tech winning is is the hope that Scott Leffler will overthink it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and just do keep it simple. Line your two tight ends up and go after Virginia Tech. And if to give context for those that don't know, Scott Leffler, former offensive coordinator of Virginia Tech under Frank Beamer. And, Chris, do you know off the top of your head how many years he's been at BC? Is this his third year? Oh, uh, let's see. He – would have been 16, 17, 18? Yeah, this is the yeah. third year. You know, so Scott Leffler is a guy that needs to be running an offense for more than one or two years, and it needs to be with guys who have been in, off, in his offense for a while, and that's where he is now. He never got to that point with Virginia Tech. He yeah. never had an experienced offense because his offense takes a while to learn and really start to execute well, you know. So, again, your hope is that Virginia Tech's offense gets some plays, Tech's special teams make some plays, Scott Leffler overthinks it, gets too cute and winds up punting more than you, you would think they otherwise would. Can I throw something in here about Boston College? It's amazing to me that Boston College and Syracuse are ranked when you consider how recruiting 
the recruiting game has changed through the years. You know, before this past summer, you could not take official visits until your senior year. Yeah. Right. Well, try getting try getting guys to visit uh, Boston College and Syracuse unofficially. They're way up there in the north. There aren't that many recruits up there to choose from. But yet, before they could bring guys in on official visits, these these guys were already committing. Right, so they yeah. didn't have a chance to recruit really well. I guarantee you, the two people on the planet who were most excited about the new recruiting rules that you could now take official visits like before summer um, were Steve Adazio and uh, oh goodness, who's the Syracuse head coach? Uh, Dino, Dino Babers. Dino Babers. Yeah, yeah. that's going to help their recruiting on paper. Uh, and the other thing I'll say about Boston College is, you know, well, they might not be the most talented guys in the world. Um, they recruit a ton of private school kids. So they're, they're really smart and they're really disciplined. Um, when, when they get to become redshirt juniors and redshirt seniors, they're really good football players, even though they might lack great athleticism and things like that. But they're really smart kids and they're really experienced. And that's what we're seeing this year from Boston College. And uh, I bet they're a really fun team to coach because they've got a lot of smart guys who really soak things in and they don't make the same mistake twice and things like that. And they've been able to redshirt a lot of guys. They've done a good job redshirting guys at Boston College, so they got a lot of experienced players. I think there's only one true freshman in their two deep right now. Yeah. So the same thing's going to happen in another three or four years because they're redshirting so many guys this year. They're going to have a ton of veterans on that team. So if, if I know Boston College doesn't get a lot of coverage and they're kind of boring because they don't have a big fan base and everything like that, but if you're an old-school football purist who, in, who enjoys roster management and, and doing the things that you have to do to spe- specifically to win and compete, then you should really enjoy watching Boston College and keeping up with them because I think Adazio's done a good job there. So, yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a six or seven wins per year team. They'll occasionally – um, particularly if they catch lightning in a bottle with an outstanding quarterback. Like, what if they had a Matt Ryan type this year oh, to go with the rest of that yeah. team? They're six and two. We wouldn't be talking. They'd probably be seven one or eight and zero, oh, yeah. and looking at ten, eleven wins. And that that's going to be them. If now that he's got his stamp on the program, Adazio's got his stamp on the program. They should win six or seven games every year, and they are, and they are, yeah. and every three or four years they should have a shot at ten. You know, I, I just. Uh, if I was a Boston College fan, it would frustrate – if I was an NC State fan, it would. if I was a Syracuse fan, it would frustrate me that I was in the ACC Atlantic. I'd be looking over there at the Coastal going, man, I could – Boston College could win the, the Coastal. coastal. Yeah, yeah, well, they've already beaten Miami, you know, yeah. and they got a shot at Virginia Tech. Boston College would probably win the Coastal easily this year. Yeah, I, I think they definitely would. Um, I was going to say something else, and I forgot. <laughs> but my brilliant point distracted yeah, exactly. me. Exactly. Right. me yeah, all the time. We'll, we'll close with the Boston College on this. It's the, uh, the last time Boston College came into Lane Stadium ranked was the infamous Matt Ryan game in 2007. You know, it's funny. We talk so much about games that have, like, frustrated you guys over the years, and we talk about the, the Boise State game. I'm sure, and I was too young to remember, I'm sure that had to be one of the most aggravating losses as a Tech fan. That one was aggravating, not so much – People call it the Matt Ryan game. I call it the onside kick game. All you got to do is get that uh, onside kick and you win. It's it's worse than that. It's Boston College baiting Brian Steinspring into throwing the ball to the yep, end zone yep. instead of burning clock. Right. Used to be with, you know, smarter football minds tell me that if you wanted Virginia Tech to throw the ball deep, you'd line up a certain way on defense and mm-hmm. they'd throw the ball deep. Right. And you know, all they had to do was burn clock, but yeah. no. They threw an incompletion into the end zone on third down instead of running. When it's the pouring ball. down rain. 
But the thing is, they got him back in the so ACC championship. So did. we interviewed uh, Jim Cavanaugh, former Whips and Rovers coach, yep. uh, in depth a year or two ago. And uh, I don't remember what the question was, but he, he went to that game. He mentally went to that game. He said, I don't really – when I look back on my career, I don't really think about the big wins. I think about the one, the ones that got away. And he went to that game. And he did mention Josh Morgan flubbing the, uh, the onside kick. Yeah. 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 Um, I'll also point out that Boston College has been ranked one other time this year. And that was when they lost to Purdue. Yeah, they went on the road and lost to Purdue, who at that point was 0-3. Really, really. And yeah, now yeah. they're one of the hottest teams on a, no, I want to yeah. say, like a four or five game win streak. Right, after right they now. hammered at Ohio State a couple weeks ago. Which uh, I'm not complaining about. I'm not complaining about that either at all. But uh, point being, BC's, they have one road win this year. And both times they got ranked, well, the, f- the first time they got ranked, they went on the road and lost immediately. This is the second time they've got ranked, and they're going back out on the road. How will they handle it this time? Although, obviously, you know, Virginia Tech is probably feels weird to say this but probably not as good as Purdue I think that's fair I've, I've seen Purdue play a couple times this year I mean, they, they've got a lot of experience a lot of seniors yes. quarter, right, I mean right. and they lean on that little freshman they got that that guy number four I can't remember his name by the way I, I will say I know we're getting awesome but I tell you what I don't know if you guys saw the Tom Rinaldi piece on Tyler Trent the um the, one of the students there the Purdue game in Ohio State just unbelievable stuff I mean I'm pulling for Purdue personally yeah uh, in the Big Ten. So, all right, well, I do want to t- uh, take some time. We've got some great fan questions. People took some time to really provide some humor, uh, some good questions, and I want to make sure we are able to answer those. Okay, so we're currently at an hour, so toss some at us, and let's try not to yeah, – let's not – let's yeah. try to answer let's as many questions answers. as possible. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right, this guy – well, let's start on Twitter from at Hokey in Bama. Hello, Hokey in Bama. From the access you have, what does the morale level feel like of uh, the players? We can't answer that because we don't have any access. Yeah, I mean, all, all, you, all you see are players behind lecterns up on podiums. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're around the locker room. It's During not practice. like you're you're not around practice. You're not even on. Well, you know, of course, I go to the games and sit in the stands. Corey, uh, Corey uh, Van Dyke covers them for us in the press box. It's not like you're standing on the field as they walk, leave the field and go to the tunnel either. The the you know, yeah, so we don't have that kind of access. No, no idea. Wish I could help. Chris has another question. Chris Olin, he says, if you could make one change to the football program besides media or fan access, what would it be? <laughs> uh, well, up in, before the season would have started, I said I would say, man, I want an awesome running back. Now I would say I want the biggest, baddest defensive tackle you could find. I don't know if that's what he means, though. Yeah. Uh, he's talking about whole pro- program-specific things. Um. How about this? Here's a good no, one. No, no. How about ditch the ECU series? <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably happening anyway. Remember I said that. At, That's fair. I'll go along with that too. At Josh underscore Fink, if Bud decides to entirely commit hats to stopping the run and A.J. Dillon and put CBS on an island. Deciding, Cornerbacks on an island. There it is. I, I was thinking of the network. Um <laughs> <laughs> Deciding that long, odd play risk is better than our ability to stop a pounding runner. Mm-hmm. What does the defensive strategy look like? Plausible to work? Question mark. Yeah, I think uh, got to pro- be careful those tight ends. You got to be careful, but you know, if you put two safeties back like you do it against Georgia Tech, there's there's going to have ten plays drop, ten play drives, and 
three or four hundred rushing yards and beat you anyway. So yeah, I think you got to be aggressive against them. I think you got to put eight men in the box or as many men in the box as you can. I might even consider since BC doesn't go with three wide receiver formations all that much. I might even consider going with a third traditional linebacker this game. Like especially since Khalil Ladler is is gonna miss the first half. So either starting to whip is either one hundred ninety pound true freshman Nasir Peoples or or Chamari Connor. And I think Jamari Connors. I don't know anything about Peoples really. I think Connors going to be a really good football player, but I don't want him at whip against Boston College or any other true freshman at whip against. By the Boston way, AJ College. Dillon weighs two hundred two hundred forty pounds. Two hundred fifty. AJ Dillon is bigger than our both of our starting no one of our starting defensive ends. Yeah. He's almost as big as Belmar, but he's way bigger than Gaines. Oh. So, yeah, so. I might even consider putting in an extra linebacker in this game. Uh, I don't know if Rivers will be healthy, but I, you know, I might consider going Rashard Ashby, Dax Holyfield, and Rico Kearney, or and Jalen Griffin, so, something like that. More of a traditional three-four personnel, or excuse me, four-three personnel. So, so Philip the box uh, man coverage. It could work because Brown is you know incomplete sixty-seven or seventy percent of his passes, just fifty-nine percent. He can get cold. Keep going with the rapid fire here. At VT Champ writes, what were the preseason odds that VT would lose to ODU and UVA in the same season? Someone responded with 1,000 to 1. Uh, I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but I think if you took that bet to Vegas, you know. and 100 to 1? Yeah, you'd be a rich, depending on how much you bet, you'd, you'd yeah. be a rich man right now. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have picked it. Mark Turner writes, this team doesn't seem to be physically tough on either side of the ball. Is that the players or the coaching? I mean, Virginia Tech has certainly had physical defensive lines under Bud Foster and Charlie Wiles pretty much every year since 1996, right, when Charlie Wiles got here. So I don't think those guys just forgot how to coach. Um, Now, maybe there's something with the way the – program is structured these days since Fuente took over. Maybe they don't hit as much during practices as they used to, and you're just now seeing that now since we lost all those guys to the NFL. I, but I don't know. We don't get to, we don't watch practice, so right. I have no idea. Um, I'm inclined to think, though, that it's more of a uh, youth thing or a talent thing in a few certain circumstances mm-hmm. than, than it is a coaching thing. I, I'm, not sure coach, I don't, I'm not sure coaching is something that can engender toughness. I think toughness is, is in, a, in a person's nature. But I also think things build on themselves. Um, yeah, I think they build them. I think you recruit toughness. And if you continue to recruit toughness, it kind of becomes like a, you know, a wheel rolling down the hill. You know, it, it kind of builds itself after a while if you keep recruiting the right type of players. Here's a fun question that's written in. If our defense was a type of cheese, what would it be? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> oh, jeez. What's the really smelly cheese, Limburger? <laughs> I was going to say Swiss. He's looking, he a, wants us to say Swiss. <laughs> yeah, because it's got so many holes in it. I get it. Yeah. In 2001, it was Pepper Jack. <laughs> it, Swiss was written on the uh, – I wanted to see if you guys oh, would say that. Was, that's rough. <laughs> Here's a question that I think we can spend some time talking about. Ottawa Hokie on the on the text sideline uh, message board says, Bowl versus Commonwealth. What is more important moving forward, to keep the bowl streak or retain the cup? I'm wondering if there are two answers, one for a large portion of the fan base and one for recruiting. 
Now, 91 Hokey Bob responded. He was very passionate about this, saying, H-E double hockey sticks, no, with two exclamation points. I would take Commonwealth Cup over the bull streak every day of the week until the apocalypse. We slash VT cannot beat Hoover enough people. Enough people. Um, they're already chirping, and we have three games before them to play. Fifteen more years of beating them is not too soon before having this discussion. No, sir. Keep the cup at all costs. Let the kids sit at home for the holidays. No bowl and lift. Oh, okay, stronger. okay, Bob, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, 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 talked, Bob, talked, Bob talked me into it. Uh, the Commonwealth Cup is more important than the bowl streak. And, um, by the way, neither one affects recruiting pretty much at all. And I agree. Players don't make decisions on where to go to school based on whether Virginia beats Virginia Tech or vice versa, or the Hokies are going to bowl. They, they don't recruit head-to-head anymore. I have so never heard a recruit not. say, yeah, I went to Virginia Tech because they go to a lot of bowl games. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's a winning program, but it's not necessarily the bowl streak. Oh, Virginia Tech went to the 2015 Independence Bowl. Woohoo! Ooh, I'm yeah, going you know, to Virginia yeah. Tech. Yeah, so I, I don't think that matters all that much, to be honest with you, but... Yeah. From a pride perspective is where this matters. And uh, if I had to pick one of the two right now, I would pick the Commonwealth Cup also. Yeah. Because yeah. yep. I, I really don't want to live through a whole offseason of putting I, up. I, yeah. Thing. yeah. That would be brutal. I can I can easily go through a whole offseason of not having gone to a bowl game. But not having beaten UVA, that's going to be rough. Last one. You three are the coaching staff, talking about the three of us. What approach do you use so that you don't lose this team or that they don't lose each other or themselves? And for the, I want to jump in on this point. I feel like a lot of this podcast, I don't think it was intended to, was a lot of negatives that were hit home. I think that sure. everyone needs to pump the brakes. <laughs> yeah. And everything is fine. It's not the end of the world like we were talking about earlier. You know, Again, it is just one loss to Georgia Tech. However, bringing up the earlier comment I made, it just feels like the fan base right now, especially on the boards, everything is, you know, it's alarms flashing and, you know, they're well, still 3-1 and one on the Coastal. Well, ideally, you know, you rely on your senior leadership, but Tech doesn't have any seniors. Um, they've got Ricky Walker, who's been hurt and ineffective, and you can't really rely on somebody who's hurt and ineffective to be a, a, a real verbal leader. Mahota's not a verbal guy anyway, uh, and he's hurt and ineffective. So that's two-thirds of your seniors right there. Peoples doesn't talk. Doesn't talk. You, it's like pulling teeth to get him to open his mouth. So that's fifty percent of your seniors. Who who are other seniors? Uh, I don't know. I'm sitting here Fa- thinking about. I'm thinking about my answer while he's uh, talking. <laughs> Faf and Chong are two more of your seniors. And, Kyle Chong. Uh, yeah, right. And and quite frankly, though, that's the weakness of our offense: center and right guard. To be perfectly frank, and and Nijman. Nijman at right yeah, tackle. So, yeah. so center, right guard, right tackle. That's actually the weakness of our offense is, is those three players. Well, that group right right in there, you know. So I don't think you can really ask the weakness of your offense to be a team leader either. So Virginia Tech lacks leaders this year on this football team. So I don't know what you do, man, to be honest with you. I'm going to give a totally, totally different answer. The, the question is what would you do, right? I'd do something fun. Seriously. Yeah. This, this is, you know, take like a bowl and something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we, we were sitting here. We were sitting here yesterday in the office going, what the heck, man? Let's go out there. One of these last four games of the year. Let's put Quincy Patterson at quarterback. Line up Cole Beck, trips right, trips left. You put two, you put Damon Hazleton and Eric Kuma in front of him. And so he can't get jammed at the line of scrimmage. And you send Cole Beck down the field at 100 miles an hour and have Quincy Patterson drop back and throw the bomb. 
do something fun. You know, what if they complete it? The place freaks out, you know. Um, I'm only half kidding, you know. Break the ice, man. Do something fun. It's football. It's supposed to be fun, right. you know. Yeah, this is all... I get wrapped up in the business aspect of it. What's it going to do to Tech's sideline if Tech doesn't go to a bowl and if they lose the Commonwealth Cup? You know, this is serious stuff for me, and it's serious stuff for them. Try to make it less serious just for a little bit. Well, at the end of the day, these are college kids. It's football. It's a sport. I think that's a great way to end on a positive note. Tech is going to be a great program, great place, great coaching staff. Everything is going to be all right in the words of that country song that came out this year, and I cannot think of who wrote it. But, yeah, no shaking out of that. That segues into this but week's lyric. It does segue well into this week's lyric. Taking a look one more time at Will's Twitter bio to uh, accidentally clicked on Will Smith instead of going to Will Stewart. Happens <laughs> all the time. It's a little bit I've been called Will Smith there. many times in my life. All right, so here is the lyric that is in Will's Twitter bio, at Will Stewart TSL. Pictures came and broke your heart. Put the blame on VCRs. That is Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles. Which was the first ever music video shown on MTV. Right? Really? Everybody knows that. Here's some trivia you can impress your friends with. What was the second video ever shown <laughs> on MTV? Well, it's got to be from 1980. I'm, th- I'm thinking maybe Thriller? Mm-mm. No, Thriller was later. MTV started in like 1979. Thriller was 82, 83. I'll be honest, I really... Yeah, nobody knows. You're not going to know this. It's funny because Martha Quinn asked it on the 80s channel the other day. She said, you know, Video Kill the Radio Star was first and what was the second one? And my brain said, Pat Benatar. So I've heard this, I've heard this before. Pat Benatar, You Better Run was the second video ever. Hmm. I don't ever think I know that song. Uh, well, I'm not going to sing it. Well, I don't want you to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but the, the thing about Video Kill the Radio Star is everybody remember, remembers it was the first video, yada, yada, yada. I've always really liked the song. I think it's a great song. I agree. You know, yeah. the 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 eerie communicating over a radio aspect of it, the the music of it, the in and out when you think the song's over and it comes back in. I just think it's a great song. Fantastic. I love it. Loved getting some eighties in here. Uh, so thanks for uh, for putting that in. We'll lead off the podcast with it next week. We might right. have set the record for longest podcast today. Though. I know. I know. Yep. Yep, we're up to an hour, almost an hour 13. That is the record. Well, we'll sign off with this. What's on TechSideline.com this week? We're back to a normal week compared yeah. to last week. We're going to have a Brandon Patterson article later today. We're going to have uh, the Georgia Tech preview tomorrow, your typical. Uh, Boston College. Boston College preview, yes. And we'll have your typical Friday Q&A with some recruiting stuff mixed in. Fantastic. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sideline. For Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, I'm Evan Hughes. Have a great weekend, Tech fans. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast.